I've kept a periodic journal throughout my ministry. I don't write in it unless there's some distinct lesson that comes to me. If I go back and thump through the pages in my notes, I discover a pattern. The discoveries that I've made and noted are less discoveries than repeated rediscoveries. God has repeatedly brought back to me a few central things. Now that's life at its simplest and best. A central lesson rediscovered again and again. What would that lesson be for yourself? Welcome everyone to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of CPE and the Bible teacher at The Bread of Life. If you'd like to learn more about how we're working to raise up evangelists and church planters around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our church here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're pulling from our archive messages from over 20 years ago, and we've been looking now at the life of Peter the Apostle, the lesson of his life that served him well in times of advance and upon times of great failure was this, always make your way to the Lord Jesus. It was a simple lesson, and it is without a doubt the best. Let me ask a couple questions of you. What do you do when you fail God? What do you do when you fail to meet your own expectations of how you ought to behave or the kind of person you ought to be? What do you do when you find yourself under a voice of condemnation from others or yourself? And those moments when you sense that there's a gap that's being formed between your life and God. What do you do when you feel as though you're slowly by your own neglect or whatever it is becoming estranged from your fellowship, your intimacy with Him? What do you do when you begin to realize that your choices you're making in your life are not being governed by your walk with Christ? They're not being informed. They're not being dictated by your surrender to His Lordship. Peter was not a perfect man. Peter is at times, oftentimes, bigger than life. And you know how it is when you live a life bigger than life. The bigger you are, the harder you fall. And Peter, on a number of occasions, falls hard. And I'd like to describe more of this. You can go into the book of Acts and you can go into the epistles and see in other points in times when Peter is, in some sense, even as he's leading the church, pulled away and stumbles and makes gross errors. But when Peter fell, when he recognized that there was distance that had formed between him and Christ, Peter always sought to close the gap. Let me share with you one last illustration of this. This is what came to my attention when I was studying the life of Judas. We see that Judas began to wander away from Jesus in John chapter 6, and it's there that Jesus asked if the disciples would leave, and it's there that Peter made that wonderful pronouncement, his first confession, we believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said this curious statement, have I not chosen you twelve, but one of you is a devil. And in saying that, Jesus plants a seed of doubt in these twelve disciples One of us is not completely true to him, you see. And they live with those doubts that they're wondering. Maybe that's what stimulated them to begin to debate who would be the greatest in the kingdom. First, they tried to decide who would be the least. Who was the guy who was the one who was a devil among us? Well, it's not me. I'm going to be the greatest. You never know. But they've begun to wonder about these things. Now we go sometime later, and Jesus gives an opportunity for this confession to be made again. And Peter makes this confession for the second time. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the second time he made the confession. The first time he made the confession, Jesus said, one of you is a devil. 
The second time Peter made the confession, right after that, Jesus, it says, began to teach them that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he was going to be put to death by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And he began to signify of his death that was to come. And Peter said, Lord, that will never happen. May it never be. This is the second thing Peter says. First thing he says is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says it with great authority. Even with greater authority, he says, God forbid it. It will never happen. You're not going to die in Jerusalem. First time Peter made his confession, Jesus said, one of you is a devil. The second time Peter made his confession, Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Putting it together, they've been debating among themselves, oh, who is this? Who is this one who's the devil? On two great moments of confession, these two statements made. One of you is a devil. The other one, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Very interesting. Now we go to the last meal, the last supper. They're all gathered together. They're eating. All 12 of them are there, including Judas Iscariot. None of them knows who the bad guy is. None of them knows that Judas is the one who's going to betray him. And all of them think, even when Judas leaves, that he's just going to give alms because he dismisses himself to go betray Jesus. They think Judas has taken off to give charity and alms to the place that needs to be given during the Passover season. At that time, Jesus says, one of you sitting at this table with me this evening is going to betray me. The different gospel accounts give you different angles of the story, but one of the accounts, and I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke, it says that they began to discuss among one another who it would be that would betray them, and then they began to ask Jesus one at a time, Lord, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, Peter has to be adding up all the things that have happened in the past, and you have to believe at this point in time that a shadow crosses over Peter as well. And Peter is one of the ones that says, Lord, is it, is it I that's going to betray you? Now, as the night goes by, Peter begins to debate this argument with himself, and he begins to convince himself that, no, it's not me. I love Jesus. I am committed to Jesus. It's not me. Because later on in the evening, as they're making their way from the Last Supper to the garden where they'll pray together, Jesus says, now tonight, he says, the shepherd is going to be struck and all the sheep are going to be scattered. This very evening, he says, all of you are going to become offended in me. You're all going to depart from me. And Peter says, Lord, now he's been thinking about this. He asked the question, is it I? It doesn't appear as though Jesus answered any of their questions, by the way. Peter's been thinking about it. He says, well, look, wait, it's not me, Lord. He says this, even if the rest of them leave you, Lord, I will not. They may, but not me. And of course, that really upset the other disciples as well. What do you mean, we may? You know, but this is what Peter says. He's convinced himself, no, I'm the good guy. I'm the one that's going to stick by you, Lord. And so the night comes, and Jesus is betrayed, and Judas comes upon them in the garden after they've been praying. And you understand that Judas's betrayal was very deceptive. He takes the group of the soldiers from the Sanhedrin that are coming. He instructs them to stop for him and wait, and that he will go up ahead, and the one I kiss is the one you want to arrest. And so Judas walks away from the crowd, and he's unrecognized as being a part of this party. And Judas gives Jesus a kiss, saying, Master, Master. And at this point in time, there is, again, I believe, no indication that the disciples realize that Judas is the one that is betraying Jesus. If that had been the case, you will read later on that one of the servants comes up to arrest Jesus, and Peter, demonstrating that he is the one that's going to stand by Jesus, draws out his sword and goes into the battle and chops the ear off of this one individual, at which case his sword fell from his hand, and he probably departed and ran like all the rest, but, and Jesus put the ear back on the servant's head. But... I'm just telling you that if Peter knew that Judas was the one that was betraying Jesus, he wouldn't have used the sword on the servant. He would have used it on Judas. Now all the disciples wander away, but one. 
Jesus is led away to be tried. And there in a courtyard he is tried and he is beaten and he is mocked. And Peter makes his way to that courtyard. He still wants to be near Jesus. He wants to prove that he's the guy that sticks by the stuff. And we know what happens. We know that when Peter first said, Lord, if everyone leaves you, I won't leave you, that Jesus said to Peter, Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times. And we know what happens. We know on three occasions, Peter is given an opportunity to identify himself as a follower of Jesus Christ from Galilee. And each time, Peter denies it. And the last time, he denies it, cursing and swearing. And he finally says, I tell you the truth, I do not know this man. On which occasion, we're told that Jesus was being passed from one hall to another hall. And he looks upon Peter and sees Peter. And Peter looks upon Jesus. And we're told that Peter went away and wept bitterly. It's very likely at this moment that Peter thought when Jesus was speaking of the one who would betray him, that Peter thought Jesus was talking about him. It's just as likely at this moment in which Judas knew that he was the one who had betrayed Jesus and made his way to, to kill himself, that Peter also knew that he was the one who betrayed Jesus. He thought it was me. He put the pieces together. He tried to do the right thing, and what did he find himself saying? I don't even know this man! And it is a tremendous fall. Peter fell. He denied Christ. Did he betray Christ? Possibly in his mind. But Peter, once he had fallen, what did he do? He made his way back to Jesus. What did Judas do? Judas wandered off by himself and killed himself with his own hand. What did Peter do? Peter made his way back to Jesus. Where was the closest place that Peter now could come to getting into the presence or near to Jesus? It was getting with those who had walked with him. It's getting back with the disciples. And this is where we next find Peter. He is back in the disciples. Have you ever had a loved one who's passed away? What do you do when a loved one's passed away? You have a palpable desire to be near them. Your desire to be near them. What does it do? It causes you to go and be with others who knew him, who loved him, who were with him. This is what Peter does. Peter makes his way back to the other disciples. He goes back to the place that brings him to the closest point to Jesus now that Jesus is gone. And this is where we find Peter next. And on the day in which Jesus is resurrected from the grave, a woman comes to the area where John and Peter are meeting with some of the other disciples. And she says that someone has removed Jesus' body from the grave. And what we read is that Peter and John run to the garden. And John, being younger than Peter, gets there first. And John stops at the edge of the tomb where the stone has been rolled away. And Peter rushes right in past him. He might have got there a little slower than John, but he still wants to be as close to Jesus as he can. And he rushes into the tomb. And there they find that Jesus is missing. But there the report begins to be confirmed. And all the ideas and truths and the things that Jesus said begin to pull back up in their minds. They begin to realize that Jesus has risen from the grave. And we realize later that Jesus then makes a special appearance before Peter and instructs him. And we have this wonderful account in John chapter 21 where Jesus calls upon Peter to be the one who will feed and care for his flock. But this is the story of Peter's life. No matter how terrible or horrific his failure is, he is always making his way to Jesus. And folks, this is the common daily secret of the Christian life. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2 describes it this way. We run the race doing what? Looking unto Jesus. You see? The focus is Christ. 
When we sin, when we fail him and others and ourselves, when we're perplexed, when we're in crisis, when the trend is running away from God, and folks today, the trend is running away from God. When we do not know what we should do, when we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, when our children look to us from guidance, the person who is seeking to know Christ and being driven near him is the one who ultimately triumphs in the trials and the trails of life. How do you drive yourself near Jesus? Pick up your Bible. Read the Gospels and seek to know him there. Once you begin to read the Gospels and you discover what Jesus is like, begin then to open up your Bible and read throughout the Scripture. What you'll find is that Jesus is not simply on the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but that Jesus is found on every single page. That the Psalms are not the Psalms of David, they're the Psalms of Christ before everyone else. They express the heart and the passion and love and the purpose of Christ. That the Proverbs are not the Proverbs of the wise man, they're the Proverbs of wisdom. They're the teachings and instructions of Jesus Christ. You can find him in the book of Genesis because he is the one who will crush the serpent's head. You can find him at the end of the book of Revelation for he is the one whom we say, even so, Lord, come quickly. You pick up your Bible and you will find Jesus throughout it. Not only this, how are you making your way to Jesus? You make your way to Jesus daily in the word. You also make your way to Jesus daily in conversation. You pray and you seek his face and you talk to him and you turn your mind's eye and your spirit towards him in the middle of your day. And when the pressure is off from the demands of the day and you pause to relax, you guide the compass of your life initially, and then eventually it will continue to stay there, to go back to Him, to think upon Him. I want you to know, folks, that that is the life of triumphant Christian living. That is the Christian life, always making our way to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our ministry, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.